I'm Verite, and you're listening to Anatomy of an Artist, a podcast about people, the art they create, and the business behind their art. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. My guest this week is artist and songwriter Mia Follett. We dove right into the effects of being in one place for the last year and how sitting in her feelings and depression has impacted her outlook on her life and career. We went in depth into her songwriting process and how she uses her voice as an instrument and how she's embracing what's unique to herself and her artistry to build a career that's unique to her. Listening to Mia speak is a joy, and she shares so much insight on the creative process and building an independent career. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And we were just talking about how the pandemic and quarantine has shifted I guess how we're kind of seen like I was on tour right before it all went down and and it I went from you know essentially getting all made up and being very intentional with how I presented myself every night getting on stage to essentially wearing the same black hoodie um for weeks on end and so I'm curious how how you felt kind of being in one place and um I guess home for over a year now this year has been a roller coaster. I feel like every time I see somebody that I haven't seen in a while and they ask me, how are you? I'm like, you know, up and down. I I think, and you know, they have the same response. And I, I think I, not to go too deep too soon but I think that this staying in one place has just made me more in tune with the natural (laughs) ebb and flow of my emotional life that I think being busy all the time allowed me to not pay attention to that as much like oh I'm depressed today but I have to do this show anyway so I just you know, put that in my pocket and don't address it. Whereas if I'm depressed on a day where I'm in a pandemic and there's not a clear job for me to do, I just kind of have to press ahead as an artist figuring out what is the most useful thing for me to do today, then I'm going to be very aware of that depression. And um, yeah, so I honestly can't remember the question, but I guess the question was, how has it felt to be at home? I think um, in a lot of ways, it's been very clarifying for me in certain ways. And then in a lot of ways, it's been really frustrating. Um, So yeah, both, both ends of that spectrum. Well, I feel like as artists, we all live by self-propulsion, but when we're in like the active cycle, especially of touring and performing and being very outward, right, there's things in the calendar, right? And so I love that idea of like, yeah, you put the depression in your pocket and you go 
forward because, you know, I have to be here at 10 o'clock and I need to put on a face. And it's such a different experience when you don't have to put on that face, but there's still a sense of like, but I do need to continue forging ahead in some way. Um, so it is this completely separate sense, like you said, of, yeah, awareness. I feel like me and my depression have become really uh, close and have developed a much more intimate relationship this year. And I'm kind of almost relearning work-life balance now a year into this, recognizing, ooh, like maybe this is unsustainable, how how I work in, in the context of my life and career. And so I feel like that restructuring has been really important, especially for artists, because we have nothing but time now. Right. I think, I mean, I, first of all, completely agree. I think I have more compassion towards my depression, whereas before I was, I'd, I'd greet it like, like, what the fuck are you doing here? Just like, go away. I don't have time for you. Um, like, bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now, now I'm just like, oh, I'm depressed today. Okay. Well, I guess that's just the state of affairs. And there's this like kind of more, I guess, symbiotic relationship <laughs> between me and my depression. But, um, you know, I think also... I was never, I think there are people who can completely just like flip a switch and be that like performer entertainer and um, put all of their, anything that's happening in their personal life kind of, but you know, on the back burner and just like completely be this thing. And I was never that kind of performer. If I was depressed, like you could probably tell on stage if I was mad, you could tell I'd play a different show. And I, I do. Yeah. So I, I guess I, just to say like, I don't want to mischaracterize myself as somebody who is able to just like completely compartmentalize. I was never really able to do that, but I think it's interesting when you have so much time and you don't have to, you don't have to like pull yourself together to get out there on stage or pull yourself together to load your gear into a van. There's this opportunity to like wallow all day if you want to, or Mm -hmm. not if you want to, because I never really want to, but there, you can do that. And I think because I am the kind of person who's like emotional and sensitive and, kind of want to do that sometimes there have been periods in this pandemic where I've spent yeah like weeks in the in the doldrums you know (laughs) where where um yeah because there there yeah it, it was it's been interesting to have to figure out a way to pull yourself out that's just completely like internal and doesn't have to do with like well, I have to get this done by this time or get this done by this time. Um, or that's based on like external validation. Somebody or like playing a great show that makes you feel mm. really good and getting that like, you know, people 
wanting your autograph or whatever or even going out and and meeting friends and I think it's honestly really appropriate that we just launched into this conversation talking about depression because it's definitely it's like a a passenger in my car of life god I I make the worst metaphors I'm surprised I write songs um (laughs) but like it is this sense of it's just something that's always been with me and probably will always be with me and like navigating that relationship is always a negotiation and then you recognize that the external circumstances of life actually have so much to do with how you interact with you know this depression when it comes but I want to kind of take it back maybe pre-depression to young Mia and I'm really curious what your idea of success was growing up and where you envisioned your life and or career going? Oh, I mean, I think my idea of success was, I mean, probably get a good job, be a good person, make a decent amount of money, have a nice life I don't really know (laughs) I I weirdly and this probably has something to do with like deep-seated insecurity or something I've always struggled to to set solid goals for myself I'm always like well I would love to do this but it's also okay if I did this and also okay if I did this and I've always kind of been like that even about my music career like yeah there's a lot of different ideas of success swimming around in my head and I it really depends on like what day you catch me on but as a kid I really didn't think much about my future weirdly I was like Mm -hmm. a very good student and did very well in school because I liked doing well and I wanted to like continue doing well but I weirdly didn't like explore that much further. (laughs) Um, I did think I was going to be a doctor though. If I could go back in time and be anything but a musician, I would also be a surgeon. (laughs) What kind kind of surgeon? (laughs) What kind of surgeon? I I just, I feel like I would want to do something that required like precision and laser focus Mm. and that feels like surgery to me that's so interesting um I would not be a surgeon I what would you be I mean I don't think I can do anything that requires precision and laser focus but that's interesting because (laughs) I feel like when I listen to your music there's that precision and laser focus I think we I mean we definitely make very different music but I think I can Mm. I can hear that like that like angular kind of clarity in your music I feel like I tend to be pretty the way I work is very like intuitive and chaotic mine is much rounder or something but I if I could be anything else <laughs> I really struggle with that I don't really know what else I would be you don't have to be anything else. yeah as well I don't really want to be anything else see I okay I think <laughs> I'd 
I would love to be a extremely like emotive dancer like like that I have all the training and I I have all the form but I've like thrown it <laughs> to the side and decided mm. to do something else like if I could just really express myself extremely flu- fluently in dance that would be amazing and then I think the other thing that I would love to be is a novelist like if I wrote but I only want to do it if I wrote like really really high level literary fiction um Mm. yeah and then I also so it's all like in the arts but when I was a kid I didn't know any artists and I think that's why I knew people who were doctors I knew people who taught art and taught music um I didn't really see myself doing that um and for some reason I just decided the the right thing for a smart person to do was to be a doctor like that was the only option I guess I wasn't very imaginative as a child of like what what possibilities I could have well, I, it's hard to truly be imaginative as a child, I feel like, because you're really only your your mind can only conceive of the options that you're presented. Right. And so if if the trajectories you see for life are like doctor and in more traditional careers, of course, that's where your mind is going to go for this idea of like what it means to grow and progress through life. So when did music come into the equation and and when did you recognize that your voice was this main instrument for you well I started taking voice lessons when I was nine just because I wanted to I thought it was fun and I started participating in this this youth theater group and I heard that other kids were taking voice lessons and so I wanted to as well. And my mom is always doing things her own way. So, you know, most of the kids went to this like one specific voice teacher, but my mom decided she wanted to explore other options. I don't even, I don't know (laughs) how she found, she found a different voice teacher which I really think really affected my, um, my relationship to my voice. I ended up, um, studying with this woman, Mrs. Meland, who focused on classical voice. Whereas I think most of my peers were just like learning show tunes, um, Mm. which is, you know, fun. But I, I think I, so I was like learning Mozart and I, I, um, I really just loved singing and I loved melodies. Um, I, I participated in several choirs in high school. I loved blending voices. I, I think if you had asked me at the time, like, 
what would you want to do? I'd be like, well, I'd, I'd love to be a folk singer because I was obsessed with Joni Mitchell. I'd love to be a folk singer, but I, I don't know how to do that. And it's too late for me. I was like, I'm 18 and I'm, it's mm. too old. I'm too old to learn an instrument. Um, yeah. So I went to college. I studied theater. I studied acting and kind of started playing guitar. My mom bought me this Yamaha acoustic guitar from Costco. And I kind of lugged it around for a few years before I decided to start playing it. And I really only decided to start playing it because I was, I had transferred schools and I was really alone and I had no friends. And so I, but I had this really big closet in this house. I was living um, in like West Adams in Los Angeles. And there's all these really old, big cool houses and I was living in this room with people that I later became close with but at the you know in the beginning I didn't know any of them and I would just play guitar in this closet and that's kind of when I realized that all these things that I'd I mean I don't think it came to me as like a fully formed thought but I I was beginning to realize that all of these things that I enjoyed doing singing and um creating melodies and expressing myself could all come together in this art form of songwriting but I don't think it was really until I started playing live shows which was several years later that I really understood that my voice was like my main instrument and something that I could like play like a guitar um, that had a lot of like a range of emotion and tone. And I didn't learn that until I played shows, until I played with a band. Well, and I feel like I, I asked that question in the way that I did because your voice does feel like an instrument in, in the variations of tone and texture. And I just feel like it can sometimes be this very like soft element and at other times it's like very aggressive and I think that in the music that you write that really translates and I feel like all of the other instrumentation is always in support of the vocal and always in support of the melody um, which I think is you know one of my favorite characteristics of songs that I love it's it's when the vocal and and the melody are kind of the main show and everything kind of shows up to enhance that element and I and I have to think that when you started songwriting because you had all of this training do you think the confidence in your own voice and technical ability gave you more confidence to explore more stream of conscious songwriting oh yeah yes I mean I don't know what it's like to not be able to sing because there are songwriters mm -hmm. who can't sing. And that's always interesting to me. But I do think it's a privilege to have a voice that sounds good when it comes out of your mouth. And so yes. like, <laughs> it, it makes um, it makes the songwriting process a lot more fun, maybe. I don't know. I've heard I've heard people who struggle with vocals express that like they're jealous of me. They're like, oh, well, like lyrics are easy for you. Honestly, I get a little bit offended. <laughs> They're like, L lyrics are easy for you because everything sounds good coming out of your mouth. 
I'm just like, that's not true. If I say something stupid, it still sounds stupid, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No matter how pretty and falsetto it is, yeah. it's still dumb. But your question kind of made me think of like this comfort in writing, you know, by myself, but also with other people. And I think a huge part of my growth as a songwriter was starting to write with other people because I think it it helped me understand that vulnerability is something that you can it's a place that you can go alone or with others it's like I don't know I feel like vulnerability maybe this sounds cheesy but is like a muscle and if you Mm. like when you understand how to get there and when you understand how to get there in difficult situations when you've like just met these two men that you're supposed to write with now if you're Mm -hmm. if you're able to get there then then it makes it like then you then you understand that place and you can access it at any time um not that I can access it at any time I still struggle with it but I'm I'm definitely like I much more understand what that place feels like and what it looks like and when I'm not there I know it Um, and, Mm -hmm. but I do think that has something to do with my feeling comfortable singing into a room with other people. It's really interesting though, because I have a really similar experience in writing where like the melody isn't necessarily the problem for me. It's like, I can spin melodies for days and, and come up with variations, but the, the, the challenge is the vulnerability and the challenge is merging the melody with the lyrics that are accurate representations of like whatever the inner emotional landscape is and it's like for me it's been a really long process of tapping into like that place and I think that the melody being the vehicle for that sometimes my emotions hop on and then other times I write really average songs with like kind of cool melodies. And like that to me is the fundamental difference between, you know, all of the songs that are sitting on the, in some Dropbox folder waiting for someone else to sing them and songs that I like keep for myself. Oh yeah. I feel that. Oh, I feel that. (laughs) Oh my God. What a, what greater pain than to write a mediocre song? (laughs) (laughs) It's just the fucking worst. It's It's, it's really funny because every once in a while I'll have fans be like, Veritite never writes a bad song. And I was just like, no, Veritite doesn't release the bad songs into the world. Like they exist and they are just, they're not even bad. They're just like air they're nothing like they they don't make the world better and they don't make the world worse like i would almost rather it make the world worse but it's just <laughs> just like a unoffensive song i i i completely agree i think this characterization of a quote unquote bad song as just nothing i think to me what I'm always aiming for is this feeling like the song always existed. Like it is an entity, like it is um, kind of this like living, breathing thing and it comes out and it feels like it was always there. Um, And then there are songs that are just like, it's not even a song. It's just chords and melodies and like random words and it's not a song. And I, Mm -hmm. 
and you just feel it in your core like this is not a song and sometimes you hear things on the radio and you're like wait why did they release that that's not a song that's not finished <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. know it's up to or, it's up to them I know I don't like I don't like that judgmental part of me but sometimes I'm just like that's not a song <laughs> it's fine just walk into any Zara and just like perk your ears up and you'll be like cool it's music this yeah exactly <laughs> And I feel like we, well, well, that serves its purpose. And I do understand, I think that like, why I love you as an artist and, you know, I'll just say like why I love myself as an artist. Oof, that's self-love. We, we got, we're here for it. But it's like, I strive for something more and you clearly strive for something more. And like, that's what excites me about making music is, is this idea of, I would, rather have honesty and and impact for better or for worse than nothing yeah I agree and what's so interesting to me as well kind of counter to that but also maybe not is what I think of as a song for myself is so different from a lot of the music that I love and that I love listening to um Mm, and it's interesting because I think I'm always striving for this specific sort of lyric that yeah is like tells a story and is very specific and um kind of unexpected but emotional and feels good in your mouth and right now um trying to I'm kind of challenging myself to write this kind of song that I really enjoy listening to but I struggle to write which is the kind of song where the lyric just kind of feels good and maybe doesn't really make sense I always feel like my lyrics make sense almost to like a fault and a lot of the music that I love listening to I don't really know what it means. I might not even know what they're saying. And so right now mm. I'm I'm in this place where I'm I really just I'm trying to write these songs that are like those ineffable feelings where it it just it feels good. You can't really explain it. You don't really know what she's saying, but it just feels good. Um which is what I struggle to write. But a, a lot of what like I've been listening to a lot of air like the album talkie walkie and some of the some of the songs you can tell you know you can hear what they're saying you kind of understand but but a lot of them you don't really and it's also music that isn't really the the um the vocal is kind of this like it's not the whole vehicle of the song it's very different from the kind of music that I write. Um, so I'm kind of challenging myself because I really like music like that to write something more like that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's just been interesting. It's been hard. <laughs> it's been a long year. It's been um, a long year. So when you're sitting and, and writing songs, essentially in your closet, 
Uh, like, what was your perception of the music industry? And did you see that as a viable career path at that point? And I guess, what were your next steps to try and create that for yourself? I, I didn't know anything about the music industry, especially when I was making music in that closet. I, yeah, I think most musicians have like a fast education in the industry um, because they have to if you're going to stay afloat. Um, I think there are like a very privileged few who are just like massively successful and don't really need to understand anything um, when the success is extremely quick. But I think when you have kind of a slow burn like I think I have had, I've really had to learn. Yeah, the first thing that I did when I really decided that I wanted to take making music more seriously was not really focusing on the industry, but focusing on musicians. Like I need to meet musicians. I need to know more musicians. I need to understand how people work together. What, what, what does it, how does a bass function? I, I didn't know anything. Um, so I just went to a lot of shows and I, like talked to people. I've actually been thinking a lot about this during the pandemic because um, yeah, the social and public aspect of, of music venues was so instrumental in me, like gaining confidence, understanding music, understanding what I liked about a show, what I liked about a song, what kind of moments I wanted my music to contain. Um, and I met so many people and it was just very inspirational to me. But that, yeah, going to shows, just looking at like Scene Star, if you ever <laughs> like used that website in Los Angeles. Um, and then I think when I like signed my first deal and started working with um, a label, that's when I really started to understand kind of the complications of the industry. The beginning was really exciting. I was like, oh, NPR is writing about me. Wow, out of nowhere. I just like, not out of nowhere, but that's how it felt. And it really felt like, oh, I thought I was just gonna put this EP out because I desperately needed to do something because I was so um, like at sea and didn't have any direction. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna put an EP out because I need to do something. I feel so lost. And then people started writing about it. I started getting um, label attention. And then I was like, oh God, I need to figure out anything. I need to understand how this works. And I've, one of the first people that I hired was my lawyer and I still work with him. His name's Vlad. And so much of my music education came from like, just asking him questions, being like, I don't understand this. Can you explain this to me? Can you explain publishing to me? Can you explain like what what is what is this kind of like what is what is a profit share deal? What does that mean? What is like you know, I I think though I have made maybe I I have made misguided decisions over and over again. I don't think that can be avoided. But I do think like one thing that I 
can say pretty confidently is I've always asked the question. Like if I had it, I've always asked the question. And I think, um, not that you asked me to give anyone advice, but I feel like you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to ask these questions because you're like, how can you just be expected to understand these really complicated systems that really affect your life and your ability to make a living? If you can't ask somebody to walk you through your entire deal, explain it to you and explain like, what does this mean? What does this kind of royalty mean? Like how many streams do I have to get in order for this to like find its way into my bank account? I think like it's so complicated um, or it, it seems complicated, but then once you start asking the questions, I think you kind of realize like, okay, you can understand the information and then make a decision from there. Though I do think the music industry makes it very difficult to make any decision that is good. That's my two cents. I feel like most decisions are not ideal. And you're just like, like this, this kind of scary risk-taking decision or this other scary risk-taking decision. It's all risk. Um, And that, you know, it's, you know, we live in this place, we live in this like very uneasy reality kind of all the time. I love that perspective because, you know, I've been independent the entirety of my career. And a lot of times, you know, I'll talk to artists who, you know, have been signed or are signed to these major labels. And I feel like it's this sense of like, the grass is always greener. But both paths have so many benefits and so many pitfalls and in both are massive risks, right? On, on one hand, you're, you know, bootstrapping and investing all of your own money, time and resources with the hope of making something work. And on the other hand, you're kind of giving up some autonomy for those resources in hopes that that will work. And it's this idea of, I think you need to love the risk and you almost have to love the process enough to also love the pitfalls and potential pitfalls um, to, you know, I think most of being an artist is creative problem solving, both in, you know, the actual act of artistry of songwriting, like it's creative problem solving. And then on the business side, it's also creative problem solving of like, how do I get from A to B and like, what's the, best least treacherous path forward yeah and I think one of the things that I experienced this during the pandemic was this like resilience fatigue (laughs) um Mm. which was really interesting because I do feel like I am very resilient and you kind of have to be to be an artist um I mean you don't have to be anything but I do think it would be really hard to sustain a career if you weren't emotionally resilient. And yeah, this year was tough. I got dropped from Interscope. I tried and I've been figuring out the production on my album, trying to get it right, like not settling for anything that doesn't feel right. And all of these, you know, twists and bends in that road have been 
filled with disappointments that I didn't really let myself feel because I was just like, okay, I have, I am absorbing that information and I'm going to move on and here's the new plan. And I love the new plan and like, you know, and Mm -hmm. love the new plan. We're moving on. And, um, I reached this point really just like a couple months ago where I just was so sad and so down on myself. And I kind of realized like, oh, this I'm feeling all of the rejection that I never let myself feel. I'm really feeling that now. And I I went down into this like pit of despair of like, I don't want to be resilient anymore. And then mm-hmm. I let myself do that. And then I got myself together and I was just like, okay, the music industry is kind of the Wild West right now. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Nobody really knows what's going to work. And there's so much different types of music happening. And there are certain things that are like streaming really well and are really popular. And I don't necessarily want to make music like that, but there's also so much opportunity to be creative and figure out a way to make your music work when it's really unique. And I just have to decide to be excited about that again and like tap into that feeling of being a new artist and just like I had no clue what I was doing but every day I was trying to do something (laughs) and Mm I and tap into that feeling of just wanting to make something that feels like an honest expression and remembering that honest expression matters and it it's important to people and people really value it and I value it and that makes this worth it I don't want to quit and yeah I think getting excited by watching other people and doing you know doing different kinds of rollouts you know like getting into the NFT game which is something that I'm I think when this comes out I'll already have minted something um yeah and just being like how how else can I express this and how can I kind of loosen these limitations that I've set for myself of like this is what this is what a release looks like your comment on resilience fatigue I think is so so spot on this idea of like we always have to push forward and especially you know now that you're back to this independent side there's you know almost less give in a lot of ways right I I had the experience early on uh, in the pandemic where I just had this really clear sense of like sink or swim And I was just like, I'm a fucking paddle, right? Like I must stay above water um, because I just had a deep gut feeling that, cool, this isn't going to be two weeks. Like this is going to be a year or two of, of this fundamental shift. And at some point being so um, productive and 
trying to, I guess, adhere to, like you said, all of these traditional release structures and what does the algorithm want and fitting yourself into that box for, you know, basically mass consumption. At some point, you do need to throw your hands up and be like, fuck it, I, I, I literally can't. And so I love this idea of non-traditional release structures and really embracing that and um, knowing your game, right? And it's like you mentioned earlier, um, the the privilege of, of the small few who um, maybe don't have to learn the ins and outs of the industry because they don't need to because that trajectory uh, was so quick and that success so big, but recognizing that us on the ground who maybe have different experiences, like, why are we, I'll speak for myself, why am I trying to put myself in that box of mass consumption when what I do has always been left of center and what what I do has always been um, a bit different and always non-traditional. And so I love this idea of you kind of looking and figuring out what do you want to create and how do you want to put that into the world? And also who is your audience, right? Because maybe your audience isn't on a Spotify playlist. Maybe it's in, in different, more immediate and maybe meaningful interactions. I saw that you were giving songwriting mm-hmm. lessons to fans and I'm curious, does that play into this new, I'm going to say the word strategy, even if it's not that calculated, but this new idea of like what it means to be a part of your community as an artist. Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, it, it was not calculated, um, but I don't mind the word strategy because it was strategic. I was like, I feel cut off from the world. Um, I'm not making money on shows. I want a way to um, have a more reliable income and also to have FaceTime basically with the people who listen to my music, which is something that I really missed because when I was, yeah, when I was on the road, we were, we were like, you know, scrappy van tour I'm out there like selling t-shirts um I meet people and these songwriting lessons were kind of yeah a way to fill that void for me (laughs) and also just like this this like skill kind of side hustle economy is something that kind of came into like the zeitgeist during the pandemic because there are a lot of people who are like, well, I have this skill and how can I use that skill differently than I had, than I did um, when the world and the economy looked a lot different. Um, So I did, that's, that was part of the process was like, okay, what skills do I have? Well, I do feel like I know how to write a song. Um, a specific kind of song like I'm not going to teach a songwriting lesson where I'm like these are the 10 steps to writing a hit song I don't know how to do that and I and I don't want and I don't want to teach that class um but these songwriting lessons have been so incredible they're pretty intense um 
talk about vulnerability, just like really understanding that in order for the process to work, I have to be able to um, like demonstrate vulnerability. Like I have to be the model of vulnerability. And if I can model that, then I can create a space where, and I say student in quotations because I don't really feel like a teacher. Packaging yourself um, in that way is also an art form. It's just a different art form, I feel like. I feel like as artists and as people who also consume art, we're so conditioned by our culture that like more is better, more eyes, more streams, um, bigger reach, uh, mass consumption, et cetera. And I think what I'm really excited about now um, is this shift to the micro and that a million isn't necessarily better than um, a thousand, right? If that million, you know, if if the reach for a million is on the surface and the relationship with a thousand is has depth and weight to it. And I think that what we're seeing now is a path for artists, mostly who are independent, because that allows for much more flexibility to really build sustainable ecosystems between themselves and their fans. That is much more intimate with much more access and one-on-one communication. Um, and I think that that model is going to be much more sustainable moving forward. And I love your exploration into NFTs and that because it allows, I think NFTs for, for independent artists really allow for both things to be true. It allows music to exist and be um, essentially free and accessible for everyone but also provides this investable layer where if you have a fan who wants to invest in you and has the means to invest in you, they have a vehicle by which to do so as that technology develops. And so that's like this really exciting part of, I think what was really the final nail in the coffin of these traditional trajectories that as artists we were expected to, um, to take pre-pandemic now, ha- having spent a year kind of in isolation, recognizing that the old model is fucked. It's just fucked. And it's not sustainable for 90% of artists who participate. That we now get to like be creative and, and figure out, well, what does work? And, and what is my, my main vehicle for art? And then what are my side hustles that like also contribute to the overall health of the world that is Mia Follick or the, the world that is Verite? You know what I mean? It's crazy that the the structure that's supposed to work is like you put out a song on streaming services and then that song has to get tens of millions of plays for you to be able to make a living at the bare 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 minimum mm-hmm. and if you're on a major label much more than that yeah. If you're on a major, you're not getting anything until you're in the hundreds of millions. Right. And I think while I do like streaming in certain ways, even though I agree it is fucked, I, I listen to music on Spotify. Same. I, I totally do. 
I love listening to music on Spotify. Um, I, I've actually more recently been like, should I start listening to music elsewhere? I, I listen to music on YouTube as well. But I think, yeah, I, I, um, I'm much more excited about kind of forging the kind of career that I want to have, which is one where, yes, yes, my interactions with um, the people who listen to my music are more intimate in certain ways, but also less in certain ways. Like, I don't want to have the career where you have constant access to me or where I am constantly on social media. Mm. I don't like that. And I, and I, and it makes me extremely anxious and depressed. And I don't really know what to share every day. Um, a lot of, I love privacy and I love solitude and I love letting ideas like have gestation periods where I'm just letting them grow. And I think when I share things off the cuff too often, something is lost. So I don't mm. want to have this career where I'm like having to provide something every day publicly, like though I am working internally. But when I do, it feels very authentic and not like I don't want to have the kind of presence where every time I'm posting something, it's like to try to sell a T-shirt or to try to sell a brand um, like I participate in that to a certain extent, but that does, I don't want that to be like my main job. I want my main job to be writing and performing music. I think that this year has allowed me to think a lot about not how do I make my career work, but like what kind of career do I want to have? And I think before, you know, a year ago, I was definitely just in this mindset of like, how the fuck do I make this work? How am I going to make this work? How comfortable am I changing how much of myself? And I think now I'm, you know, I'm still in this place of because I don't think I'll ever get out of this mindset of like, how do I make this work? I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. But now it's yeah. more focused on like, okay, I want this kind of career. How do I make that work? I, I want to have this kind of life. How do I make that work? Not like, how do I fit into this major label system? And how do I make my album sound enough like me that I don't want to perish, but also enough like what is streamable that I can make a living. <laughs> so I like that balancing act just, oh God. I mean, it's like how much of my arm can I chop off and still play guitar, right? It, it, it's, it, it's like a similar negotiation of just like how much of myself am I willing to give away to like fit, to fit into the algorithm and to fit into the quota and to fit into the expectation. And I really identify with that and I really kind of respect the idea of recalibrating and maybe pivoting well maybe that's not the point and maybe that's not the goal 
I love talking to people so much because I feel like every conversation takes so many. It's never what I expect, if that makes any sense. Mm. And I think that's been the real joy of connecting with people via quarantine. So I really appreciate you kind of sitting down and wrestling with a lot of these ideas with me because I think it's really important both for us, but also people listening who are building their careers and to to hear different perspectives on what makes a song great and what makes a career great. But in in January of 2020, you played a show, I think at the Echo, of like a bunch of unreleased yeah. material. Um, and I read a headline that was like, basically, you're setting the bar for 2020. <laughs> right and 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 then it all imploded and so i'm really curious and we, and we covered a lot of this but like this year when you looked at kind of the trajectory of your career during that show and and where you've landed now is it recognizable or do you think that you've completely pivoted and are on a new path Oh, I think I'm on the same path, <laughs> um, but the path has been like pretty, uh, had some, some pretty unexpected terrain, but I think I'm, I'm definitely on the same path because I think I played that show. I, at that time, was beginning this process that I'm continue to be in now of breaking away from what was what I kind of assumed was was expected of me and re-engaging with what I wanted to do and that was like the beginning that show because mm -hmm. I I'd been playing these shows where I was playing um to tracks which I don't think I have no issue with tracks. Um, but I I was playing shows where like basically to save money, it was like me and a drummer and a guitarist and tracks. And it was super fun. We had so much fun on that tour um, and like great people. But I really missed the energy of playing music that was focused on like musicianship and listening and that show was definitely a big risk we booked the show because I was like I want to try some of these songs out before we start producing it because um I want to see what that feels like I want to remember like when I was earlier in my career, I, I always played things live before I recorded them. And then my first record, um, I didn't play any of it live before I recorded it. So I, I was like, I want to try playing these songs live and I want to try playing them with no tracks. I want it to all be played and I don't want any click. I don't want any ears. I want, um, I just want listening. <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. I played with a band I'd never played with before with people um, other than Adrian who played bass. I hadn't met any of them. And 
I sent them the demos. We had, I believe, four rehearsals. And then we played the show. And it was so fun. Um, <laughs> it was like this crazy energy. And I really felt like I was remembering who I was after this period of feeling pretty like disconnected from myself and feeling like I was making decisions that were more focused on what I thought I was supposed to do rather than what I wanted to be doing. And it really felt like the beginning of this, like, you know, Vlad, my lawyer, who I mentioned, who's worked with me since the beginning, he came mm. up to me at that show and he was like, you're back. He, I think, I think he, he said to me, he was like, Mia's back. And I was like, yeah, doesn't it feel like it? And I wasn't offended. I think what was interesting was like, mm -hmm. I wasn't offended that he said that. I wasn't offended that it implied that I had been gone because I also recognized that I had been gone. And so when he said that, I felt seen. It was like, okay, you knew that that wasn't real me either. And I felt very seen by that comment. And it definitely felt like, okay, this is the path. Here we go. And I thought that that path would be like, pretty like a straight line A to B, but it wasn't. Um, and I think that's something I've, you know, I think I hear about people talking about all the time in, in terms of like emotional growth, regardless of whether they're an artist, just like as a person that you learn a lesson and you think you've learned it forever. And then you make the same mistake again. So I think like I had this like this like, hmm hyper clarity after that show and then and I thought I would then I was like okay well now I know what the, I want the album to sound like and so I'm just gonna make it but it wasn't as easy as that so but every time I kind of make these slight stumbles or wrong turns I remember like no I know what I want this record to sound like because I know how it feels because I played that show and it has been an important touchstone for me to have that like in my heart. I know what I want this record to sound like. And, and anytime it's not that it's not done yet. I have to, I have to like keep moving and keep discovering it until it gets to that place. So yeah, in certain ways, I think I kind of feel like I'm in the same place, but I've also feel like I've moved forward, but general same direction. I love that. I, I love I love the analogy of like same path, but like some some real fucked up terrain along the way or unexpected terrain. Yeah, I'm just like, wait, I thought I I thought I learned this lesson, but I guess I needed to learn it like eight more times. Anatomy of an Artist is a podcast created, recorded, and edited by me, Verite. It was produced by Vanessa Magos with the help of Yesenia Bonilla. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.